Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Incomparable, number 604, March 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm Tiff Arment, your guest host this week for an episode of Video Game Club. And we are here to talk about Little Nightmares 2, a creepy hide-and-seek puzzle platformer. Joining me on this dark and rainy journey are two companions wearing upsetting hats. First, let me welcome Brian Hamilton. Hello, Brian. Hi, if I reach through the computer screen at just the right time, do you think I could just zoom over to where y'all are hanging out? That would be awesome. I really wish that that were possible. <laughs> um, also joining us is James Thompson. Hello, James. Hello. I, I'm just going to kill all these children with pipes in a totally not upsetting manner. <laughs> Your with great controls. Your intro is so much darker than Brian's. <laughs> right in line with this game. I'm going to hang out with my friends. Let's kill everyone. <laughs> So um, I would like to uh, preface with this game is a prequel to The First Little Nightmares, which the three of us discussed on episode seven of Recently Played. But you don't need to have played the first one in order to enjoy this game. You may miss some nods and some reveals might not be as potent. So a little background, Little Nightmares 2 was released February 2021, four years after its predecessor, Little Nightmares, and it can be played on almost all modern platforms. The story, which predates the events of the first game, follows Mono, our bag-faced protagonist, who must work together with Six, the protagonist from the previous game, to survive the horrors of the Pale City and discover its dark secrets. Okay, let's start off the spoiler horn so we can get into this a completely unfeathered. So, you two, we played the first one together. Well, not together, but we played the first one. Now we played the second one. Uh, and I think we all kind of agree the second one is way better. So much better. Way scarier, too. I think what we said about the first one was we really liked everything about it, apart from possibly the gameplay, which was... There were certainly bits of it where you were fighting the controls more than you were fighting the things that were after you. Uh, and this one, it comes together a lot better. Um, I I think I have also come to the conclusion that I do not like being chased as a, as a thing, <laughs> which is kind of the entirety of this game. Uh, but uh, I really, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. I feel like when it comes to 
The controls and the chase sequences both are tightened up so much more in this game to the point where right when I started and you are outside, uh, you know, running through the forest, I thought, oh, this makes more sense. It controls way better. It feels way better. Of course, this was a post inside by Playdead game, so it totally makes sense that I thought, wait a second. The first Little Nightmares game is also a post inside game. Oh, they just really tighten things up for the second game. Yeah, I mean, in general, um, for me, this game was a lot more fun because things were tighter. You can interact with a lot more stuff. There was like a little bit of combat, which is nice. Um, overall, I do have some things I don't like about this game, but I think that they're like minor technical things as opposed to the overall ambiance of it. I I just I love the style of game. I felt very strong inside limbo vibes, like right yeah. off, like as soon as the game even opens up, you get you're in the woods, right? Like it's Yeah, exactly. I was right playing away. that and I was thinking, yeah, this seems vaguely familiar with all the <laughs> just solving these little puzzles like have i played this before so but, if you like that kind of game this is just like another chance to live in that world for a few hours and it's not very long and i think that that is right for this type of game it's like i can't sustain that level of tension for yeah. like a 40 hour game but i can for like a 6 to 12 hour game depending on how thorough you get i did not get thorough <laughs> there's not much to be thorough about in this game in the first one you have the gnomes to collect in this one there's like some spirit children things yeah. which might unlock an alternate ending that i haven't found but it felt like there was way less to discover in this game than the first game which i didn't really mind it it did it did indeed unlock a, a sort of secret ending Ooh. but it's you know just like 10 second thing yeah it's totally not worth unlocking it's worth going and finding someone else who unlocked it and watching them (laughs) unlock it uh but we'll get into that we'll get into like the nitty-gritty and we'll talk about all the pieces of this game first i want to kind of talk a little bit about the plot uh where this game's coming from and so where we start this game you are basically rescuing the character six who like i said earlier is the protagonist from the previous game and the two of you travel on a uh, door law uh, a door raft to a decrepit city and then together they navigate the crumbling terrain and they go through buildings and throughout their escape mono continue mono who you were playing as uh continues to try and use like old televisions to access this dream universe where he sees visions of a hallway and a door with an eye above it so um this is very much like a creepy little horror game and what i love about this is that in this kind of realm of games which seem to be coming its own genre where you don't have any cutscenes. You don't have any dialogue. You don't even know the names of these characters besides like looking them up online. And yet you get such a deep story that really moves you along emotionally and like attaches you to these tiny little silent characters. And I just I absolutely love the style of this. And even though the plot isn't a plot like you're not you know follow you still get so attached and you want these characters to succeed you want them to win you want them to survive and yet you know so little about them and i love that it throws that right right off the bat i think one of the things that i enjoy in this is the fact that you've got a companion with you running around the levels with you because i don't know but for me it made the sort of 
horror of it slightly less. You know, it was easier to deal with because you weren't the only person in the room dealing with it, which is weird because they're not real, but you kind of know what I mean. Um, so yeah, they, they do the whole uh, eco thing where, you know, you have a companion who helps you up things and gives you boosts so you can reach platforms and stuff. And of course they do it also so that you get used to it and then she goes away for bits of the game and uh it's that taking it away thing and it's like oh now i really am on my own having the companion make it quote unquote less scary means the game can go way scarier because it feels less scary and little nightmares 2 is genuinely terrifying in a bunch of ways that i think the first little nightmares was you know a little bit more creepy i mentioned tim burton on the last episode this one is like i had legit nightmares for a, a few days after playing this See, you told me it was going to be scary, so I was expecting it to be really, really scary. And yes, there are a lot of creepy elements, but I don't think I was any more scared than the first one. I mean, the the first one has that like awful clown in the water, which is terrible. <laughs> there wasn't, I, I, I think I just kept expecting um, as you were moving through this landscape and going into these buildings that like, you would encounter something really disgusting and terrifying. Like I found like the chefs and stuff in the, in the first one to be very like disgusting. They made them so vomitous. Right. And this one, you had the like big giant enemies, but none of them were really disgusting. They were strange. Like we have, um, you know, Beetlejuice teacher, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like there, uh, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much. And I don't think there were that many um, large enemies as in the first one. It was more, um, a lot of these smaller foes that you came across, like the porcelain children in the school and the severed hands in the hospital. But yeah, and I also agree with James about having the companion. I, I love the elements of being able to like whisper and hold hands it created this element of connection that you did feel like you had someone to like ground you right in the, in this whole, like I'm moving through this, but I'm not alone. And maybe that also, like Brian said, helped with the creep factor in that you weren't feeling so isolated. I, I think the other thing that kind of uh, brought it down a little bit in, I mean, in terms of the, the level of uh, terror is at the end of the first chapter, you just, straight out shotgun someone to death and it's like oh so we've got some more agency in this one to actually like fight back yes. because in the first one there was very little kind of that you could do uh, and in this um you you go around and you're you're picking up sort of makeshift weapons and and various things as you go along so it it's kind of less i mean yes you're being pursued by supernatural things but they're more physical um so you can do something about it the little in Little Nightmares for the first game really implied a sense of like, you are small, the adults can squish you. Whereas in this game, I feel like the little in Little Nightmares manifests itself more in the level design where you are climbing up, you know, cabinets and bookshelves and things. And you did that in the first game too, but there are way less, you know, giant characters that make you feel like you're going to be squished. It's more that you're going to be eaten by Beetlejuice teacher. We've said twice so far, we can't say it again. <laughs> <laughs> long neck teacher oh she is she is quite scary there was a lot more 
moments of having like these close-ups of the enemies whereas I feel like in the first game we're going to be doing a lot of comparisons because I mean how could you not but I really do feel that this game could stand on its own like if you didn't play the first one you would still be plenty happy playing through this one but they had a lot more close-ups of these enemies and there was a lot more light brought onto them and I feel like you got a lot of kind of like looking into the camera texture scares you know from these enemies and maybe it's because there were fewer of them they really wanted to highlight them for you um i'm not sure maybe it was also that the character you're playing of um the mono is much more uh obviously a a boy little like a little child whereas the first game you weren't quite sure if they they looked humanoid but you also had the gnomes so you're like what are you playing as? Um, but this one, you were definitely sure there were like two children. But yeah, the scares in this, um, there was a lot more meaty bits around too. Like there was a lot more background gore, I guess, than in the first one. And it also makes me think of like, so I have a 10 year old who likes creepy things. Well, he's almost 10, but like he likes creepy things in games. And as a parent who also likes creepy things in games, I don't really know where that line falls of can I show this to a kid to play this, you know, or like, can we play it together or is it too much? Because I think we answered this because Brian was having nightmares. So (laughs) (laughs) I am a wuss, I will say. I mean, I don't. I didn't have any nightmares from this one, but I mean, if Brian was having nightmares, I mean, I don't want to make my kid have nightmares. <laughs> I mean, it's in the name There's of a diff- the game. It's a little nightmare. There's a difference between like getting your kid to think and process things in a different way through horror and traumatizing them, which is what happened with me when I saw Saw way too young. Oh my god! <laughs> and because I'm me and I'm contractually obligated to mention Hereditary and Midsummer, uh, you mentioned the difference between light and more detail versus the shadows of the first game. And this game definitely does show a lot more things with less obscurity and shadow, uh, save for the hospital level, uh, in the same way that Ari Aster's 2019 film Midsummer is all about sunlight. It's in Sweden. It's still a terrifying, scary horror movie because you can still see everything in all the gory details. No pun intended. Also, when this game came out, uh, they only had PS4 and like Xbox One versions of them. And uh, quite a few months later, I think it was like six months later, and it was after I'd played through the game, they brought out PlayStation 5 and Series X ones. And they look really nice. You know, there's kind of ray tracing and fog and apparently there's like 3d better 3d sound and stuff uh i was really annoyed because i went back to the playstation 5 version and it was like yeah you're going to start this game from the beginning again i I, because the playstation has had a problem with importing saves from ps4 games and they only just like added an api for developers recently so i think these games there was lots of things where you had to like or we go to download the the ps4 version upload to this cloud then you can go and download your save again anyway um but yeah the playstation 5 one i played a bit of that today and went through the first level again and it it looks really nice 
So talking about playing on different platforms, uh, I played the first game on Switch and I was very upset because there were no achievements. And I love getting my achievements. Right? <laughs> like I like, you know, being rewarded. You're a good gamer girl here. You did something weird and, and you can see the percentage of the other people who did this weird thing. And, you know, you feel special about it. And so this time I played on the PlayStation. I only have a PlayStation 4. I don't have a 5 yet. Um, but it looked it looked pretty great to me. And I was very pleased that there are a number of achievements out there. So the things that you can collect in this game, um, Brian mentioned, there's kind of like these little glitchy people that you, uh, through the end of the game, you kind of figure out like why they're there and where they came from, but you can like find them in little crevices. And if you collect all of the glitches, you get the, um, the alternate ending or an extra scene at the end, which is definitely not worth it. <laughs> like it's like 15 seconds. Um, but if you're a completionist, definitely go do it. We will talk about what that alternate ending is. It's not really an alternate, I guess it's just an addition ending. And also another collectible in this game are hats. You can find hats throughout all the levels. And I believe there's 12 of them. Um, I found six. I uh, And I want to go back and find them all. And then in addition to that, with if you're not playing on switch uh there are the achievements of like you did something weird like oh you opened up this refrigerator and you know it gives you an achievement for opening a refrigerator so those are out there too and um they're also fun to get but they're not collectibles so you're not quite sure where they are or what's going to give you an achievement so this game actually took me a long time to play because i was touching everything <laughs> like anything like even from the very first scene in the beginning of this game where you show up in a field next to a, an old television set that's kind of like on a static channel and there's a block and i carried that block as far as I possibly could. I was like, this block is here. I can pick it up and I'm carrying it. And actually it helped me out because a few, a uh, little bit, few more steps down into the forest, there's an area where um, it looks kind of suspicious that there's something hanging over you or some sort of, the leaves look different. So I took the block, I threw it into the leaves and it sprung a trap and I'm like, sweet. I, <laughs> I carried this sucker for a reason. But there um there are a lot of those like kind of gameplay things out there for this game uh, depending on what platform you play it on and um i guess tying it in i kind of want to talk about the controls also uh i was going to put this in my complaint section but since we're talking about different consoles and different ways to play um brian what did you play this on I played Little Nightmares 1 and 2 on Switch i know last time i complained about the load times on Switch the Little Nightmares 2 looks way better and loaded infinitely faster, and I don't know how they pulled it off. For this uh, replay, I wanted to play it on PS5, but wound up not, because uh, it does sound like it looks amazing. And I didn't realize there was a specific bespoke PS5 version out yeah. there, so I'm really excited to try that at some point. This game's also perpetually on sale, by the way, on all the platforms, so if you, like me, want to get it on a second platform just to have it you know, look better, that should be something that is more feasible in like a week or two, it's on sale perpetually. Um, but yeah, I really did enjoy how much faster it went and how much better it looked on the Switch. Uh, but you don't have the achievements on the Switch, correct? I'm not and, an achievement boy. I'm not, I mean, that's I'm, fine. That's fine. Yeah. You don't have to be. Uh, <laughs> and so the the controls for me on the PlayStation, does the PlayStation 5 have a different controller, James, than the PlayStation 4? Yes, it 4? does. Uh, it, it's, it's mostly the same layout, but it's kind of uh, the triggers are better. It's quite heavy. Um, hmm. But 
uh, it, 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 I like the controller, but I'm currently, I've, I've spent the last hundred odd hours playing through all the Mass Effect games again. Uh, and I'm doing that on the Xbox Series X. So I'm been using that controller, uh, a lot and I'm finding that lighter in my hands, at least the PlayStation 5 one is a, is kind of a hefty beast. You could definitely, uh, uh, bash in the head of a small porcelain child with one. <laughs> so I found I found I was getting a lot of hand cramps with this game, and I was reading a little bit about it. And there was another criticism about how like some of the movements and the controls that are required to like get through this game were causing some cramping. And I wonder if it's because I was using the PlayStation Four controller, but I was finding that some of the gameplay when it came to navigating both like around a corner and you're trying to like either smash or use a flashlight and like doing a couple like combination jumps and grabs I found my fingers getting all like cramped up because I was forcing it so much on the controllers and I'm not sure if that is just like I'm a very tense grabby player or (laughs) it was just the way that the controller was mapped um, to start off for this game. I think like the fact that it's got like the grabs and stuff on the triggers, um, that probably is is an element of that. Um, I don't think the like the combat isn't very precise, I think, regardless of what platform you play it on. It's a kind of very loose, floaty, you're like you know, you've got a pipe or an axe or or whatever it is, and it it you know, you kind of like just throw it in the rough direction and then it takes a couple of seconds to get it back again and i don't think it's supposed to be you know that kind of you're a small child wielding weapons and it it feels like that yeah like the lumbering part that the player is experiencing is that intentional because of the care like you said the character is like trying to th- like we like make use this pipe that's three times the size of them so like it's going to be difficult it's going to be difficult to like climb up something like i felt like the movements and the the combat were difficult with the way everything was on the controller mm-hmm. and yeah i guess you could look at it in the way of this is like it kind of translated to the type of character that you're playing but at the same time, I was not thrilled that I came away from playing this game, like sitting for, you know, a few hours uh, and playing it. And like my fingers kind of like stuck in a little crook. Because, like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not like, good. It stinks. <laughs> but it doesn't it didn't take away from my gameplay enjoyment of it. I was just disappointed that like I felt like I was, you know, getting the claw, you know, the gamer claw <laughs> from playing this game. It felt very intentionally designed to be sluggish in a way that reminded me a lot of Fall Guys, oddly enough, where the sluggishness of the controls and when you push the A button, you have to take, you know, a few seconds to wield your axe and then throw it and then whatever. Um, It felt like it gave you this extra sense of I don't have enough agency in this world to move myself through as fast as I want in the same way, like when you're in a real life nightmare and you're running from the wolf or whatever and you can't run fast enough. I thought that was a really great way to add tension to it, especially to your point, Tiff, the chase sequences. I loved those sequences because they are perfectly timed so that if you just lean the controller all the way to the right and just keep running, keep running, you're going to make it by the skin of your teeth, even if it feels like you're about to be you know, killed the entire time. That's what gives me the thrills in this game. I think there was a few of those chases where I kept messing it up and then I was just fed up with them. You know, once you've repeated something more than like once or twice, 
I think the tension goes, or at least the horror part of it goes, and you're just annoyed. There's something about that mechanic in games when you're being chased that I, I don't like. This did it reasonably well, but I mean, even like in the first level where you're being pursued by the, the hunter guy, I was like, I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to be doing. And he just kept shooting me. That was one of my biggest criticisms of this is that there are certain games that as you play, you can feel like, like you said, uh, Brian, you can feel like you're running through it and you get by the skin of your teeth. And that's where like the thrill comes from. And I think this game has this so often. But for people that fail like me and do things over <laughs> yeah. and over and over again, just like James said, it takes a lot of that away. Like it takes the the adrenaline out of it and it just becomes a slog. And um, I I almost think that they missed a little bit of the balance here when it came to player agency through some of those like chase scenes and critical moments where I feel like there are certain points where they should have not let me fail. You know, like I should have had the agency of like being able to run and feel like, yes, I did this and like maybe make like that one final slide like under the door or something like great. But if as I'm running and I like accidentally like shoulder clip a little edge of the wall and that makes me fail and I have to do it all over again. It's like, don't put that there. Like, let me run and feel the adrenaline of something chasing me. But then as soon as like one little mess up, like you can't quite see the path, right? It just, it takes all the air out of it. And I was kind of disappointed with a lot of that because I'm a person that I like difficult games but sometimes maybe it was because of like I'm playing with, you know, the finger claw um, <laughs> so I'm all like cramped up. But if I don't get something right, I'll keep doing it. And that's fine with me. But in a thrilling game like this, where it's a lot of those chase scenes and a lot of the adrenaline, I was getting mad that I kind of like missed the emotional checkpoints here because I had to keep redoing something. And that especially for me happened at the very end. The very end, I missed the final jump. And I guess we already did the spoiler horn so we can like talk <laughs> about this. But there is a moment at the very, very end of this game where you are making like this final jump away from this like horrible blob that's that's following you very inside. But you're supposed to be caught by your partner. I trip and fall off the world and have to do it again two more times. <laughs> I had similar uh, experiences, especially with that last big sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, I did that so many times. And that's why that I think these things don't work because, I mean, it's good, but you want to be able to kind of have the thing that's chasing you hang back a little bit if you're kind of doing, if you're a bit slow. And No, I, I uh, almost want, I want them to like put in like a fail safe you know like where it's like the developers know that like okay if you miss this the emotional part of it is more important than the gameplay here yeah right so they like keep you going i felt like inside did that really well where like you're running from the blob at the end of inside sorry spoilers people have not played inside get <laughs> get it together and go play that game uh you are running from that another blob and yet you feel so stressed and you're running the whole time. And I don't feel like that there was a lot of fail points in those yeah. runs. Whereas here in this game, they give you so many fail points that like missing that final emotional, you know, crescendo of grabbing her hand was like, I felt so cheated. I'm like, I played this whole game for this moment. 
and I I messed it up. I'm mad at myself, but at the same time, I'm also mad at the developers for letting me fail. How dare I they? Mean, to be fair, she just drops you immediately afterwards. So <laughs> I know, but that's like part of it. Like I want that, like the, the like you know the success of like grabbing the hand, and then the oh no, you're looking at me. You're looking at my hand. Don't don't. You're hesitating. Why are you head? Don't let go. Holy crap! You let go. Like I want all that to be there, and I love that that this game has that, and yet it let me miss that. Like. Celeste is another game that I think of as a very difficult game that's very generous to the player in all of those ways there. Like, if you are, like, a pixel off, it's okay, we'll let you go. Uh, Portal 2 is another game I know that has a bit of a code override for a critical moment where you have to fire a portal and, like, 50% of players got which portal it was wrong, so the de developer said, look, we'll just let you do this with either portal that you fire, and I think that works extremely well. Uh, the counterpoint, Tiff, to your uh, tension being ruined by having to try over and over again, I hope they don't mind that I'm telling a story, Truge uh, played Inside for the first time maybe a year or two ago, and kept dying uh, over and over at the very beginning and said, I don't want to play this anymore. These gruesome animations of a little kid being killed are ruining the game for me. I was like, what are you talking about? There's not many of the Oh, it's because I didn't die very much. And you died a lot. And that experience of people experiencing games differently, I think is like one of the reasons I play video games because it's so much fun to see how everyone else did something or accomplished something or reacted to an emotional moment when Six drops you. I thought that final moment was not, it didn't land as much for me because you die a million times in the game previously and you just reboot. It's like, oh, I'll just reboot. Oh, I don't. That is the like difficult part mm. of the end of this game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the... We can get into the, the plot and, and things later, but I was going to say, I think one of the criticisms we had of the first game was that the checkpointing wasn't particularly great. Like you would do quite a long sequence, then mess it up and you would um, have to redo the whole thing. This I thought was better, um, but still, if I have to repeat something more than twice, you know, you can all say it's because I'm bad at games or whatever. But I just don't like that experience. This is not the game where you have to be an esports athlete in order to get the emotional parts of the game. And I wish the developers had weighed more on the side of get the emotional impact over that finish line rather than make this jump perfectly or else you fail. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't mind redoing like combat sequences a bunch of times in order to get through them because I feel like that's more of like grinding, right? Like you need to get rid of all these enemies and then get through this level. Like fine, there's no real um, you know, emotional uh checkpoints at stake there. But something like a chase scene or final jump or something, just let it happen, you know. And I, and I think that's very much the developer having more emotional connection with the players in the game as opposed to like making gameplay. And I'm not like, you know, pointing fingers here, but for me, that separates a immaculate game from like a really great game. And um, I just I, I love this game so much. I love the characters i love the setting i love the art style i love you know the way that things are highlighted in this game i love the like the paths are like slightly highlighted i love this the scratch marks in the ground when you need to move a crate i like the little worn edges on bookshelves like how this game beautifully leads you through a world 
uh, but I just feel like that this particular one, I wish that's where they missed the mark here was was having those um, chase scenes be a little bit more weighted on the emotional side as opposed to the gameplay. I remember when we were uh, playing the first one, uh, I think I said that I thought that the DLC where you're running around collecting gnomes, mm-hmm. I thought that was my favorite bit of that first game and they, they got better at, mm-hmm. at doing stuff as time went on and i thought the puzzles also in this were were good you know there was quite a few that i i like that sense of um feeling clever because you figured this out mm-hmm. and I, that's what i come to these games for i guess as well it's just you know you have to run away from things as part of the process <laughs> Uh, but we should probably talk about the levels, you know, yeah. just generally what the chapters are uh, and what the kind of who you encounter and things. So, I mean, yeah, the first one, as we said, chapter one, it's mostly the kind of tutorial at the start. And then you rescue six uh, who's locked away by this hunter um, or it's locked away in some other cabin. I don't, can't actually remember if it's the same cabin. Yeah, not. yeah, it's the hunter's cabin. And then, you know, you've got to get away. Uh, and I think is it, I think it's Six that holds up the shotgun in a, in a kind of like encouraging you to shoot this guy. Way. Yeah, she she takes aim and then you have to like pull the trigger, like yeah. help, help her because the shotgun is so much bigger than the two of you. It's the size of the hunter. It's not the size of these characters. So I think that's the first moment in the game where they indicate, hey, together you might be able to wield some larger weapons against a lot of these enemies you're going to be encountering. I, I also think it gives an indication that perhaps Six is not the um, nicest of little children. <laughs> As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So yeah, so let's um let's go through each chapter. So as you said, chapter one, you start off in the woods and you meet the hunter, um, who then you dispense of pretty quickly after you find six, and then you both travel across the water on a door raft and you get to the city. Um, chapter two uh, takes you. Uh, where does chapter two take take us? The, the teacher, that's the orphanage, the, the orphanage, and the. I seem to completely be focusing on the 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 children, the little porcelain children, because I find that so disturbing. The kind of like because you you hit them in the heads with whatever weapons are around, and it smashes their heads in. Um, 
and, and yeah, chapter two is also where we uh, meet a delightful long-necked teacher who follows you into the pipes and, and things. I like to imagine that she's like an eldritch horror creature thing, like half snake or something that just stole the body of a woman and is doing terrible things to the skin. Oh my God, it's my favorite thing in the whole game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you hate it and love it at the same time. I, an eldritch horror that decided what they really wanted to do was to go into teaching. <laughs> <laughs> the salary is not great, but it's just a passion. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, and uh, in that chapter, uh, the person that you rescued finds her yellow jacket that she's wearing in the in the first game and that was i think the point where you go oh right this is actually six so this does connect mm -hmm. in directly because they don't explicitly say it uh right did you know front. that before that moment because i that was the review no, for me i i didn't know it um but you know it, it didn't surprise me i guess um uh, I kind of guess through the iconography because I like a lot of the saves in the beginning, like they have the little bag boy shape and then they have the, you know, rain slicker shape of six. And yeah. so like the two of them together, that kind of made me think like, OK, this little girl that I'm picking up is probably six. But I forgot it was a prequel for a little bit. And I was like, oh, what what's going on here? Like I was all into the story and then I'm like. Oh, yeah, it's happening before <laughs> here. But yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty cool that they connect it in that way. But it's not absolutely necessary. And a lot of the iconography like throughout the even the in the wilderness, like you find the little blocks and they have the eye on it. And yeah. there is graffiti around um, a lot of the levels of gnomes like they're on stickers of um, shipping boxes. Did you notice that? Like the shipping boxes have like a little gnome label uh the eye, like i said the eye is everywhere there is also this graffiti of this dog peeing on things did you notice that like all <laughs> over the place i'm pretty sure it was like indicating where there might be a hat or something because a lot of the times if you like look around the area where the dog peeing graffiti was you could find a um a hidden secret or a collectible uh, so amazing. that was around. Did did you see those? I didn't Did know. Maybe because it. you're a dog owner that this called out to you more. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny that there's like this like little kid art of this dog and it's peeing. And like, because kids always like find things like that fascinating. Like, oh, I made a dog pee. Like, they think they're being so bad. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I loved about the orphanage school sequence, one of the top three sequences in the whole game for me is you learn how dangerous those porcelain children are and you escalate and escalate and escalate. You learn you can smash them. You can kill them. There's a bit of a combat scene. And then when once you find the head and put it on, you are brought into a room with like 50 of them and you have to navigate your way through a like several rooms where all of these kids are around. And if they discover you are not a porcelain kid, they're going to freaking kill you. And I thought that was a perfect example of the way that horror can escalate and grow and creep you out, which is done, again, very well in the uh, hospital scene where there's a trillion freaky mannequins, which we'll pivot to in a second. So our number two is the orphanage. Um, there were a number of puzzles and things in the orphanage. Anything um, that stood out to you? That you might, was the chess puzzle here? I believe it was. Uh, yes. I like yeah. that puzzle. I thought that that was fun. I also like how... A lot of the puzzles that you come across, there is kind of like an answer key if you're a very, um, 
you know, finder person, if you're like looking under everything, moving, like trying to interact with anything that you could possibly interact with, sometimes the answers are just like, you know, behind a drawing that you could pull off the wall or something like that. And or you can try and figure it out on your own, which I I really like that they give you those two avenues for two different types of players. Yeah, definitely. I think with that chess one, it was one of the ones that it was up on the wall. I think I found that. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I, I think I found that after I did the I moved all the pieces <laughs> around and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> it was all right there. It's just like uh, Taskmaster, you know, where the, the answer is kind of sellotaped under a desk. <laughs> you never think to look. I, I think, yeah, chapter three is the, the weird hospital. But there's a lot of running around finding fuses and stuff in, mm-hmm. in that one that I remember. Um, and I, I, I enjoyed the puzzles that were associated that with the like, you know, I'm gonna, I have to take this fuse out and then move it somewhere else and do something. And then that will give me another fuse. And then I've got two kind of. Um, so I, I enjoyed I enjoyed that. And yeah, the, the, the third one, uh, you've got the the creepy everything's prefaced by the word creepy the creepy mannequins where you've mm-hmm. got your torch that you can freeze them in place and there's that bit where you're walking through and there's like dozens of them around and you're kind of just like whirling around in circles with the torch trying to stop them coming near you um i thought that was very effective um again an escalation from one mannequin to maybe two to a room of 50 mm-hmm. yeah and um, I found that both with the orphanage and the hospital, there were these two sections that were basically like gauntlets that you had to run, where in the mm. orphanage, it was kind of like the locker gauntlet where you're running and um, all the porcelain children are kind of chasing you and you have to, you know, smash and run and, and dodge your way Um into rescuing six because at one point six gets kind of like taken by these porcelain children you need to rescue her um and there's various like things that happen that keeps pushing you forward to all these different locations and then in the hospital you have that whole gauntlet of like the hands that are reaching out from the areas and then again the the mannequins and those are the places where i didn't mind being tripped up by failing because Mm. I felt like, yes, those are very scary moments, but it's also very difficult and you kind of have to play them a few times to figure out like where you have to go, which ones you can kind of like dodge from, which ones you have to um, take out before you can get past them. And so like I didn't I didn't mind that at all. Um, I I like those parts because there those were like the two main big stressful combat situations mm-hmm. and. Um, I like a game that has a good like give and take of I'm playing sneaky hide and seek stealth games and then I just I have to run and get through this and kind of like face this like fearful fight in front of me um, and and then I get like another area of like calm exploration that I, I get to like sneak around again. So and I think that in this game it gives both of those and and I really enjoy that. It gives both of those styles, but it's not like a Breath of the Wild or Skyrim where you can choose puzzle to puzzle mm-hmm. how you deal with it. It's like you're in a clearing. Here's your axe. This is combat. And then you have nothing. There's a bunch of things. You just have to run and gun and stealth. It's kind of those divvied up sequences, which is not bad, but I can imagine like a D&D player coming to this and being like, I wish I could do this part of the game differently. 
Yeah, I mean, like, this isn't a game where there's multiple solutions to anything, really. Um, oh, chapter three also gives us the ceiling guy. I don't know what his real name the is. Doctor. The doctor. Um, and uh, who you lure into a furnace uh, and then Charming. Uh, burn. And Six warms her hands uh, <laughs> next that. to the, the burning uh, guy. And it's like, yeah, she's not good. I actually, you're not good in that scene because I did a little reading. You could ch- like choose just to close the door and walk away. Oh, like well, you did oh, not have no. to turn on the fire and burn that dude. You are the monster, mm. sir. I also am the monster because I also burned. That's him. terrible. The truth is out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> We've all failed. It, there should be an achievement for that, so you can see who your <laughs> friends are, monsters. Yeah, actually, the achievement should be if you don't burn them, because in yeah. games like this, it's it's basically a scorched earth scenario. It's like, well, obviously, if I don't turn on the fire, he's going to get out and chase me again. And yeah, I did some reading. I'm like, that is clever. That's clever that they gave you that agency here to turn on that fire or not. And I'm sure a lot of people did and very few people didn't. I also want to throw out here, we talked last time, or I talked about the fat phobia in the first game. And I Mm. think in this game, there is, you know, the one fat character, the doctor, who fatness is not a part of his character identity or anything in the way that they were saying something about like fat people eat a lot of food in the first game Mm -hmm. while still using fatness as a shorthand for disgusting in a way. So not Mm. as terrible as the first game, not that great in the grand scheme of things, but it's definitely one of those things that contributes to the character's overall design. As a viewer of of that scene and that character and the way these characters are built, I didn't see that his fatness was making him disgusting because we also have a very thin spindly teacher who is equally disgusting in her like serpentine neck situation that she's going on so uh i definitely feel that they did a lot better with not making this about fatness and gluttony like there's that's not a um a gameplay plot element here at all and i think that that changes things for me because that was making me feel not, not uncomfortable but like i felt like this would make people upset and i don't like contributing to something that would upset somebody and here i'm glad that they kind of like let that part of little nightmares go and let us play a different like the same kind of game without any of those elements involved for sure we can criticize and love at the same time yeah I also want to go back to what you said, James, about the fuses. Um, There is a world in which this game feels like Star Wars Episode Nine fetch quest back and forth. Get the fuse, get the fuse. They did not do that. I thought the fuses at the beginning of this level were an amazing way to guide the player in a way that wasn't, you know, lamppost here or you know anything along those lines. It's just get the fuse to go to the next place. You don't have to think about it too much. It's just a clever environmental way to guide the action. I, I was thinking just as you were talking about the the teacher and the long neck and stuff, and it reminded me there's like a Japanese ghost, which is I think the same kind of idea of of, of a long neck, uh, and that's what some of those things reminded me of. Um, but yeah, the <laughs> I I I didn't like the teacher. Uh, I <laughs> just <laughs> we're all clear. Way- no one likes the teacher. <laughs> I mean, it's like, like of all the of all the the the, the uh, baddies that you encounter. I mean, it was in the first game. It was the the 
guy with the very long arms that mm-hmm. I didn't like. And so clearly I have a problem with people with elongated <laughs> uh, anatomy. Uh, yeah. The uh, the one thing I do want to say about the puzzles, which I thought was really cool, um, another element that they used of having this, you know, um, this partner that you aren't controlling, I felt like she was very involved as opposed to in a lot of games when you have a companion. Uh, sometimes you feel either brought down by them because you're like, oh, I have to go find them and bring them back because they're not like they're not moving with you. Like you're you're the babysitter, right? Or they just kind of like get in the way or they disappear. There's always like something strange about having like this, um, you know, NPC companion, right? But here I loved how they played this and the the way they programmed it and the, the way that they have her kind of having her own agency at times. And you never felt like you had to babysit her. Like she was always uh, there to help, but also she was there to move things along. And a few times I noticed this where in the orphanage, when you have the puzzle with the bear and there's a key in one of the stuffed animals uh, because you see the um, x-ray on the wall. Uh, yeah. Or maybe this was in the hospital. Maybe it was in the hospital. It was. Uh, so I love that when you pick up a toy to like bring somewhere, she also picked up a toy and brought it somewhere yeah. or start or if like you weren't getting that. Um, I was like busy exploring, trying to find achievements. So I was like distracted <laughs> and she would like pick up a toy and like start leaving with it or go somewhere with it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, the game's trying to use her to tell me like what to do because they think I'm stuck. I was not stuck. I was looking for hats, uh, which I found. Thank you. Anyway, but and there was another point where um, you're doing the fuses. And uh, when you throw the fuse through the bars after like, Mm -hmm. you know, a big maze of finding the fuses, she takes it and plugs it in for you. Like she goes and and she will like bring it somewhere else, like even off screen, even multiple rooms away. She took the fuse and like brought it over to the main area. And I was like, okay, that's really cool that they put that in there, that they're showing that this other character isn't a helpless thing that you're babysitting. They're not just there to boost you up onto higher shelves. They're also like kind of playing the game with you. And they did just enough that you didn't feel like, okay, you're just solving the puzzles for me now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, like just give me a second while I look for hats. But yet she was there to like move things along in a really delicate way. And then also, even if it's not moving things wrong, long, even if you weren't taking a long time, she did some stuff. And I thought that that was really cool that they built that in. And so you really felt like you had a companion and a partner here. And you really wanted to always be like, you know, do your little whisper, like, hey, like, and hold her hand because you <laughs> felt like you were in this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, it did feel like a, a proper partnership, which of course makes her ultimate betrayal even worse. Right, right. This might be my favorite developed companion in a game it's not like you have to you know do puzzles to get ellie across the water in last of us or something like this person helps you out Mm -hmm. and also moves things along without feeling like they are you know the assist mode in the game yeah i also like how they're um kind of her waiting screen i i love there's like so many creepy times that she's like left behind a door because you Mm -hmm. get boosted up and then you have to like go through things and then you get back and you find her there's one point where she's like breaking the fingers on this mannequin It's so creepy and I love it so much. I like you just show up into this room and she's like crouched in this dark room, breaking the fingers of this plastic mannequin. And I'm like, 
oh, girl, you're so weird. Like, but I'm really into this. Like, let's go. Let's continue going. Like, you do you. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I did not catch that. Yeah, she yeah, had no, a couple I, I other that. ones, she, too. She She's bad. I was just saying this. It's like, if you're paying attention, I mean, you. I half expected to come into a room and find her, like, eating gnomes and stuff. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, like the other one, right? Like she's warming her hands by the fire as you're just like, yeah. you know, after you burn that guy. Like, there's. Oh, also, you will die if you try walking into the fire, which I did try that because I wanted to see if that oh. was an achievement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tried everything in this game. Nothing was an achievement, by the way. This is why it took us 10 months to make this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spend a full week exploring one room, then move on to the next one. Ah, yeah. that is kind of how I played. Actually, because I played that way, did you guys find the lady statue? I don't think I, I guess did. not. There's like there are a lot of nods and little things. There is one point where like you can kind of you go into a room when you're like trouncing through buildings and and some of um this is like past the hospital and it's raining outside and you're kind of roof jumping from roof to roof. There's one point where you get thrown into a room from like a swinging part or something. And you have the choice of like leaving the room and going down the fire escape. And this is where it, a lot of these moments, um, they call it the 2.5 D. Uh, we talked about it in the first game, but I guess we should just mention it right now. So the, um, the gameplay, it is, it's in 2D and you have like these puzzle platformers, but you can also go forward and back in the scene. So certain points, there's depth or certain points you're uh, running away from something and you need to run towards the camera and then make a turn. And so it's not quite 3D. It's not quite 2D. Mm -hmm. So it's just something in the middle. And there is this moment where you can like leave the room that you just like got through and you can like go forward or you could turn around, go back out the window, go down the fire escape like away from yourself and then into another room of the building. And that's where like secret things are, right? You could pick up mm -hmm. like a hat and like there's a lady statue in there that um, is a big, big nod to the um, to the second game. Well, first, second game. <laughs> <laughs> i just i love yeah. finding that kind of stuff i love the little like uh you know playing to the fans and and putting that kind of iconography all over the place and it really does delight when you find it the camera is locked in one direction like animal crossing and when you have that limited perspective hiding things in that really creative way makes a lot more sense and in a game where they hide as many secrets as the little nightmare series i think that makes a ton of sense I now have this mental image of Tom Nook warming his hands against a fire, <laughs> burning some residents. He probably does. He's a creeper oh, yeah. too. I mean, um, I would say the chapter four, which is the the city, which is the uh, bit that we were just talking about. Um, I think that was my favorite section of the game because it there's less less being chased. Although there is, you get chased. There's this thin man with a hat who seems to be the the the, the main antagonist uh, I use the word seems to uh, but you get in that you get the your own little supernatural ability which is to sort of go into televisions and use them as portals and, and leap around and Love I, I that. loved it yeah that was my favorite thing all the little puzzles with that it's like right I need to get a television over here because then I can use this television to leap here and I can you know um it, it, it's again giving you more agency in in this kind of nightmare because it's like well 
I, I've demonstrated that I can use weapons, but now I've actually got a power which I can use um, to to do something. Um, and I think there was a, a section in that with a, a little store and a shopping cart. You're trying to get the shopping cart down and things. And that was, I think that was one of my favorite little puzzle areas. The shopping um, cart puzzles are a high point in the game. Yeah. Uh, but it does end with you being chased through trains and things by this creepy guy. Um, I liked how the TV set uh, weren't only like the purpose of these portals and like this new style of gameplay and travel, which I, I love that. I adore this. But it also added a lot of world building because now you're in this city and you have these enemies. Well, they're just kind of like people who are obsessed with the television and their faces have become sunken in. So they are these monsters that are just kind of like emaciated all over the city because like you can tell that they decided to like not eat or bathe or upkeep their city they're just absolutely obsessed with these televisions or whatever broadcast is and what i really love is that they took this idea of using televisions as portals and it's not just like oh hey look there just happens to be a television just like hanging over here that you can portal through it's part of the story because there's this one scene where you're in this woman's apartment and she's like watching the TV and you have to like portal to the outside. And there's another TV on a rope hanging outside the window. And at first you think like, oh, yeah, the game placed it there so you can like get outside with the portals. And But when you think about it, because you have to distract her with the screens in order to get past the television is hanging outside of the window so that like she, the character could watch TV instead of looking out the window. Like if you think about this, like as the world used to be before everything got really gross, like that's, a that's so cool to me that they use those elements. And yet you can like use, uh, you know, anthropologically in the game, <laughs> like to, a way to figure out like how these people lived. And it makes sense the way everything's all set up. And that's, that's really very cool. And I like that they added this in kind of towards the end where it wasn't just like an overused feature. It was like you got yourself all through these like spooky things and they kind of used elements from the first game where you have like these, you know, giant adults that are kind of that are chasing you and you're going through and then you get like the payoff of like this new cool feature. And then not only does it world build but it also is um implied of it brings the story along because you have mono who keeps trying to interact with these televisions and like get a clear vision that of, of what his um uh, his vision is uh, of this doorway in this hallway so you you have all of these elements coming together with the televisions and the crumbling city it's it's all just very well done and put together without having like any cut scenes or any you know like oh let's read the poster on the wall or you found a scrap of paper that describes why the world is like this it's like it lets you figure it out and it makes you feel so cool for figuring it out like just like you said with the puzzles like when you can get a puzzle right and it makes you feel good and smart that you solved it uh, i think that that is just a wonderful way to build this creepy world without spelling it all out for you yeah i think if this was a game that had like little audio diaries that you picked up where you had like a some woman talking about her TV, favorite tv show it would kind of just ruin all the tension so yeah and that uh, restraint i'm really i'm really pleased that the developers and and the artistic team had the restraint here to let the audience be smart about it and figure it out for themselves 
Yeah. I love the idea that restraint or technical limitations led to a lot of the narrative innovations in modern games like Gone Home got away with doing so little in the world by adding in these audio diaries and now audio diaries are freaking everywhere uh whereas in this case it does take a sense of restraint to make a creative game like little nightmares or insider limbo and not make it like a full 3d open world kind of thing with these same elements because they're really distilling it down to its own unique you know atom atomic elements uh, my other favorite thing about the tv scenes are that uh the remote turns these levels into like manipulating the humans to go other places by turning off one tv and doing another they're like magnets they're attracted to it and i love turning off one tv making the human go another place and jumping back through that tv to get outside the window excellent excellent little bit of uh, game design uh, and if you're going to tell me that i had an option as to whether to electrocute that woman um i think it was <laughs> I, I think there was a woman that you electrocuted yeah in the um, bathroom had to in have, the bathroom right? just checking like this isn't another one <laughs> I tried to get away from her a few times without electrocuting her. And I'm like, well, we're doing this. Get in that watery bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> On a personal level, The Ring is one of my favorite scary movies. And one of the things I still have nightmares about, the little girl climbing through the TV. And the chase sequence at the end of chapter four was perfect for me. I hated it and loved it in the same way I hated and loved the teacher because uh, it, it's just everything I love about creepy things and TV static and like somebody chasing after you but then using supernatural tv abilities to like jump 15 feet ahead like ah how'd you get there a plus great job <laughs> brian can you continue to talk about kind of like the end of chapter four and bringing us into chapter five i love that the uh i'm gonna call him slender man because of course slender man and the internet and everything he climbs out the tv and starts to chase you and to your point the TV warping mechanic is brought in very late into the game because I feel like if it were brought any earlier in the game, people would start thinking, now, hang on, how can Mono and the uh, the Slenderman person uh, both do this weird power? Hmm, interesting. Hang a lantern on that. Uh, hmm. But this uh, this creepy person, very nicely dressed in 1940s fashion, will chase you outside of the TV while six is trapped inside of the tv you see six banging on the glass from inside of a tv at one point and eventually you are running through these train cars that you are able to jump just out of reach of uh the creepy tv man and then he's able to teleport past you and again one of my favorite conceits in horror is that people can do that i forget how that sequence ends how do we ultimately get away from slenderman you um you have this mechanic where as you touch the television you kind of have to use the left stick to tune the tv and like once you get the proper tune it um it gives you some focus and that's been happening throughout the entire uh the entire game and it gives you like a clip of this vision and the hallway and the door a little bit more each time and eventually you get to the point where you tune to this part and you are in the memory or dream and it like drags you through because at this point you are trying to rescue six who has gotten pulled through the tv and so you're trying to um, rescue her and you get through this tv world and then you find yourself in this alternate strange universe where you are kind of in this limbo of a vision and you're hearing um, voices and then you come to like a room where everything is floating and distorted. Um, it gets very weird. 
but I'm here for it. Like, I don't feel like it's, <laughs> it didn't feel out of place, but yet I felt out of place. Does that make sense? Like as a yeah. player, it led me to this point and I was, I was there for it. But as a character, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, before we get completely into the uh, game pink world where we were, um, where I got stuck and started texting you guys, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> um, uh, I do want to mention one scene where um, as you're running across the rooftops and you are experiencing a lot of these TV things, um, you're there's this one scene where there are a bunch of people kind of like lined up looking at this beacon and um, as you're like looking at this beacon, the people are like falling off the building that part is so creepy and cool and that connects to the whole idea of this beacon and that's where like it brings you you have kind of this standoff with the tall man and um you kind of have like you find out that you have similar powers to them and as you are like battling with this tall man and you have like these similar powers that you're like going back and forth um you you seems like you defeat him but it's not super clear because he kind of glitches out a lot like the tv does and that's when you are brought to this um the the radio tower the beacon building room and you're into this like dream world yeah i mean i really enjoyed the changing the laws of physics around you sort of aspect to it and the puzzles like the the ones it was like sounds that you had to follow and, and things like that and I, I i like like those kind of like observational puzzles where it's like okay what's different here what am i trying to figure out there is then there's a big boss fight with six who has been turned into you know one of these giant monster creatures basically and uh that took me a lot of tries to get through that one because um, you got to smash all these music boxes and that she can reach her hands through the sort of doors which portal to the other side of the room so you have to kind of like lead her one way so that you can run the other way and and go in and smash her music box just those were weird sets of puzzles that required you to have timing and intuition for where six would be when you could call when you could go through a door when you could climb up a thing and when you have like a split second to smash the music box before you move to the next room yeah. i enjoyed them but it was a little frustrating and i kind of wish this was a little bit more combat-y rather than twitch reflex kind of thing yeah. uh, i was also stuck exactly where you were tiff with the pink doors and the sounds i had no idea sound was the solution to the puzzle i just kept moving back and forth thinking something was broken uh and me too I, that's what i was Googling. like i thought i broke it i thought i broke it yeah. <laughs> you broke your fun new toy on the yeah. switch <laughs> yeah totally uh this part this chapter um the signal tower as it's called uh it's so interesting because like you're traveling through the majority of this game through this like crumbling environment and at the end like right before you start this chapter the buildings kind of like also begin to crumble and like change and like everything kind of feels like it's imploding on itself and like that's when you're like kind of brought into this this other dimensional world here that has something to do with tvs and distortion right like there's mm -hmm. a lot of distortion going on and it's it's very visceral because it's it's kind of distorting everything like there's distorted gravity there's distorted color and 
it's so very beautiful. You know, when you are traveling on the steps as you go through those pink doorways and there are moments where it's like you're like the camera has panned out and you're this tiny figure on the steps. I love when games like this do that, where they give you the um, the vastness of the environment that you're in in those moments of like panning out and they really make you feel how tiny you are in this entire world. And, and especially here, I'm thinking of this one moment where everything is very pink and uh, the light is kind of like right behind you and you're going up these steps and it's, it's all just, it's very beautifully eerie. And I love that visual in this game. I love that it feels like you're going through someone's like emo art project and i'm (laughs) so here for that like i i just games that are visual like this and and give you the feelings that this game gives you it really speaks to me as a person and that makes me feel very heard when i'm playing this game and it's like i'm not a dark person like at all i'm very happy person uh but like i like these little dark elements and i like these like delightfully smart things that are involved in games like this and i like when a game makes me feel smart and also i like when a game makes me stop and appreciate like the beauty of of light or the way um you know the rain is moving around or the the if a game is a little bit misty or something like that or like the very first game um the first little nightmares how the boat like subtly rocked back and forth like these games are very well developed and and delight people that pay attention to that kind of stuff. And I think that that's why games like this are so worth discussing because hearing just like a title like this, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's a game. I would like to play it. But <laughs> there's it's so much deeper than that. And I think that that's what it brings you into this. This final chapter just becomes, it titillates all the senses here because like now you're following sound, like you said, through the door. And then you have this battle with six, but the battle is, it is strange that you have this large creature, like you've battled before and you're a small little person. Um, but you have to use what you have. Like, so you whisper to like get her distracted and you like dart through a door because you're tiny and she's big and lumbering and trying to protect this music box. Um, and there's, there's a lot going on here, but then, as the game moves you along, it brings you into an ending that like you are just not expecting. Like you're trying to save her from being this an- another long armed monster, but you smash the music box eventually and she kind of becomes six again, like the the person that you know, and then you're running from an eyeball blob. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, like, I wrote down pulsating mass of flesh and eyeballs. Yeah, it's just <laughs> awful. Uh, just copy and paste it from inside. Exactly. I mean, it is, totally. It is it's very so inside. inside. So inside. And then you like, you, you're running across this chasm, like you're trying to like get out of here. And then when you get to that final moment, as we mentioned earlier, and you're grabbing her hand, like you've done many times before, she's helped you across like extra wide chasms before. And she hesitates and the mo like she hesitates for a while and then she drops you. And the game keeps going. The game keeps going after that. You think like that's the end, like that's the end. Like she's going to go forward into the next game and she drops you and you're dead in, you know, into the eyeball pit and (laughs) that's it. But yet the game keeps going. And that is crazy to me in a good way. Crazy in a good way. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. I was just going to say, like, that we we kind of get to the the reveal of this thing is that after you get uh, dropped down into the pit, you're sitting on a chair, and then you see your character basically age in various stages, and then it's then I was like, all ah, right, I know where this is going, and yes, by the end you're wearing a hat, so you are indeed your it was yourself pursuing you through that previous level um and one of the things that i've seen people mention is like for most of the game you're wearing like by default a paper bag over your head or hats or whatever and right at the end you don't um i can't remember if it gets knocked off or whatever it gets knocked off in the battle with the tall man when you're in the street battle like the dragon ball z style like (laughs) So I think there was a speculation I saw that one of the reasons that she drops you is that she sees your face and realizes that you are indeed the person who oh. has been tormenting her. So it could be that maybe, you know, this betrayal is more of a, wait a minute, you know, you just did all this stuff to me. I see where this is going. So could be that. But Manu, the character, doesn't know that, and we as the player don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. No. You know, it, it seems plausible that why else would you lose your your face covering uh, just before that? I so, love that theory. Oh, I love that theory, too. That's so interesting. Because, like, throughout the game, there is a lot of indication of, like, these little glitchy characters that you are kind of rescuing or, like, you kind of absorb, like, in a strange way as they're the collectibles. And then there is um, this very strong element of when Six is taken inside of the television and she becomes a glitchy element. And there's even a moment where her glitch, uh, her staticky self is, is guiding you through things. And you know, when you battle the tall man, he is also very glitchy in that part. You know, he looks like uh, television static. And when you find out that it's really yourself or some sort of projection of yourself and, you know, you've come full circle and you're stewing on the betrayal that Six dropped you, turns you into this monster that you've been running from. Um, it's all very, very cool. And I love that they've given this game its own breathing room here Mm. they didn't directly tie it into the other game to be like you know force is feeding you like the story of like how this something happened from you know little nightmares one this is its own thing and you can just let it go but the character six she's the one that moves on and it's a nice tie-in but it's not a like a necessary element they they both get to stand on their own I would not have guessed that after the game I just played and I saw, you know, how everything happened, all these villains, all these creepy levels, I would not have guessed that this game would have a twist ending that made me want to Google theories about the game. Mm. Like, you think that with, you know, Inside or, you know, Journey, a lot of other games, you know, Edith Finch, Gone Home, uh, Firewatch, all those other games are like, I want to learn more about this. I would not have guessed that this game would give me something that juicy as that twist ending to say, oh, now I want to learn this much more about this world in these games and now i'm starting to think that little nightmares as a franchise could be like 
Fargo style almost one story every few years of, you know, just checking back in on this world and these characters that are, you know, loosely connected, but doing their own thing in a really creative way. I think that'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of takes us to the point that Tarsia Studios got bought by Embracer Group back in December 2019. And they have said that they are not making any more Little Nightmares games. But Bandai Namco, who owns the rights, have implied that they will be making uh, another one. So, like, with a different development team. Because hmm. uh, there, there was a statement from, I think it was the studio head, and he said, it's bittersweet to announce that we are leaving the world of little nightmares behind us. It'll always be dear to us at the studio since being acquired by the Embracer Group. It's now time for us to embark on a new chapter, create new IPs, and explore new worlds. So it will be, I think... I think we will get a little Nightmares 3, uh, but I think it will be, you know, another team who's making it. So I don't want to dismiss it before I see it, but I think, you know, it was kind of, you're going to need that art style, you know, that puzzle design, all those elements that I think are going to be very hard to kind of replicate without like seeming you're a cover band or something doing it. <laughs> another prequel of a prequel. So like yeah. <laughs> really, really removed <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> um, but we, I was looking, you know, up what the developers are doing, you know, if there was any indication. And there is this other company called Section 9 Interactive that seems to have spun off with former developers of Little Nightmares 1 and 2, uh, who've got this upcoming sort of sci-fi action horror game that certainly stylistically, like in lighting and all that kind of thing, looks uh, very much like... Um, little nightmares but is more of a well you've got a gun and um you know you're you're dealing with more sort of alien the movie style things also another pulsating mass of uh flesh because apparently <laughs> that every game needs one uh uh and the the limbo and inside devs are working on this game called somerville which looks interesting as well quite a slightly different art style to it but still you know that looks like that feeling of you know you traversing an environment and and uh things so yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with little nightmares going forward because i know it's a rights issue and they got bought and and all these things but it's a shame that they are not getting to continue exactly you know whoever writes the third one gets to decide what happens to six and and all this so I do want to mention about the um, the scene, the extra scene that you get for collecting yes. all of the hats. So basically what happens is you see Six um, coming out of the TV, like because now she went through a portal after dropping you into the, you know, the eyeball pit. And she is seen there. There's like a flyer on the ground in another language that you're not able to read. But uh, for people who've played the first game, you can tell that it's um, an advertisement for the Maw. And then you uh, see her like her stomach growls and she grabs her stomach like she's getting hungry and it just leaves there. So it kind of like sets up that she's going to go and find this place but it's that's it like it is 15 seconds of like her coming out of the tv they close up on this flyer that if you don't know it's just a flyer it looks weird and then her stomach growls and that's it so i think there's also there's like uh her sort of shadowy self as well present there in the scene mm -hmm. too oh yeah so, yeah, I didn't catch so that. there's kind of like a split 
you know. So I don't know what it means exactly, whether, you know, her experience of being turned into a monster turned her into a monster, if you see what I mean. Um, or, <laughs> yeah, because she didn't seem great as a person from the start of this thing. But, no. you, you know, who knows? Um, I mean, we I think we really do need a, uh, you know, a prequel prequel because I need to know how she got into that hunter's house. Right. Like, <laughs> like I'm curious about that. And we thought that she was the daughter of the lady, which... Mm-hmm. Doesn't yeah, seem which, to be we true were, either. No, no, uh, just a fan apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think there was like a very small DLC or something for this, which I didn't play. I didn't uh, play it either because as I'm looking at the page right now is when I just found out about it. It's called the Gnome's Attic. Like, you know what it is? A single room in the very beginning of the game, and it was not worth purchasing the extra few dollars for a reference to a gnome from the first game did not enjoy mm. um it's not dlc in that way it seemed more like a pre-order bonus cosmetic thing but it changed the world rather than the character not good okay good to know i had looked into it as whether it was worth purchasing because i really liked uh as i said the dlc of the first game i mm-hmm. thought it was bet better than the first game itself um but yeah so that that was all there is and uh from the sounds of it there's no more uh dlc coming for that uh, you know they got the the ps5 and xbox series x versions out i think it was kind of like three or four months ago or something um and that's it so before we end is there anything that anyone wants to mention or highlight or favorite moments uh from this game that we haven't touched on yet uh brian you mentioned this game really spoke to something about who you are in a way that was like let me think about that for a second i'm not a dark person but in that kind of way and that gave me a new sense of context for how I feel about this game with, you know, I love horror. I love puzzles. I love, you know, beautiful story driven games. And I love, you know, games that take five hours rather than 40 hours to play in the same way that like, I love pop music. I love references to old games and I love emotional experiences. Sign our wild hearts, favorite game of all time. <laughs> I think it's so cool when someone as competent as this studio and with the same kind of like creative vision as something that, you know, one of us would make in a game can take this idea and turn it into something beautiful that we can all play and enjoy with things like musicians or directors or you know, movie directors, stuff like that. It's easy to ask them to just like shut up and play the hits and make another Kill Bill movie or another like album. That's like the old stuff that you love from the 90s, but not the stuff from the 2000s, you know, things like that. Whereas for a game studio, it feels so much harder to reconcile that this team that made little nightmares one and two will not be making a third one but they have their own ideas and journey they want to go on so we're going to love them support them regardless in the same way that like maybe after this weezer album maybe they'll go back to pinkerton style weezer like we don't know but that may only take three years or so like stuff like that can't really happen in video games in a way that the glacially slow process of making game can really support. Also, low point of the entire game was the freaking elevator puzzle where you have to jump on top of the elevator off the thing. I <laughs> hated that one. Had to Google it. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> um, I, I got that one, I have to say. Um, <laughs> I, I think the... I look forward to seeing what they do next, and I do wonder if it's going to be, you know, little nightmares with the IP serial numbers filed off. Is it going to be that kind of same horror with weird art style? Or are they going to say, well, let's do something, you know, doesn't look like a Tim Burton nightmare. Uh, are they going to do... Because, I mean, I, I enjoy the game. And yeah, I, I enjoyed the, the darkness, if not the being chased by the darkness. Um, 
but I I would love to see them try something different as well. You know, using the same skills. Uh, and yeah, it sounds like if there's a whole bunch of former devs who are working on this sci-fi project, it might be that when they get bought, uh, you know, some of the creative people have left and are going to do other things. So, it, you know, in a way, this is your your band splitting up possibly moment that, you know, they might still be called uh, the Beatles or who, are, I don't know, trying to think of a contemporary reference to so that I don't sound old. Um, but you know what Rock I Rock mean. Band is better than Guitar Hero. Even they sold the rights to Guitar Hero and then went off to meet the second one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see um, because I think all of us love these games. You know, like we both love, or we all loved Limbo and Inside. And I think we came to this game thinking, yeah, well, it's not going to be quite as good as those, but we like it so we like those kind of things so let's try this one and i think we've we've come away from this i think this is its own unique thing in a lot of ways because there's things that those other games do better in terms of controls and puzzles i think but this in terms of the art design and everything i think is really strong Uh, What I want to say is that I'm thankful very much for the two of you for enjoying games like this and getting to talk (laughs) about it with me because I feel like these are, they're not little niche games. Like they're out there. They're pretty big games. But once you discover them, you feel like you're in kind of a little, we're going to use the word creepy again, a little creepy club because (laughs) it's not for everybody and people don't discover them as easily because they look scary. Uh, And so I really enjoy that I get to talk about these cool little games with you guys and that we get to have so much fun on a show like this and discuss like, you know, the beauty that we can find in something that someone would be like, this creeps me out. I mean, my husband doesn't even like listening to these games because (laughs) he gets scared. Like (laughs) He doesn't like them. They're not his cup of tea. And so I'm very thankful for having uh, friends that I can talk to this about. And we are very thankful for having an audience out there to listen to us. (laughs) So um, I would like to thank the both of you formally for joining me on this episode of The Incomparable. Thank you, Brian. Thank you so much, Tiff. Wait, why why aren't you pulling me up? Why aren't you? No! And and James, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm happy to be in the creepy club with you all. But now I'm looking at Tiff in this different light. Now that you've said that, Brian, and I'm thinking, if we were hanging on a ledge, would she just look us in the face and then drop us into a pit of flesh and eyeballs? Uh, well, I will def- I will end on saying I would never drop either of you into an undulating pit of eyeball blobs. <laughs>